to the Modern Mamas podcast. We're here to provide a safe space for open dialogue, insights, and anecdotes about empowered pregnancy, labor, delivery, parenthood, and everything in between with zero judgment and open hearts and minds. I'm Jess, a level one CrossFit trainer, a birth fit coach, and a licensed and certified athletic trainer. I have my master's degree in kinesiology, and I am currently studying to be a certified nutrition consultant. I'm the blogger behind Hold the Space Wellness, as well as mom to two small kiddos. And I'm Laura, a certified CrossFit trainer, certified nutrition consultant, BirthFit Santa Cruz Regional Director, and mama to Evie Wilder. I'm also the woman behind Radical Roots, where you'll find recipes, fitness insights, travel tips, consulting, and more. Please note that while we're here to provide advice and insights, we aren't medical practitioners and always recommend that you check with a trusted provider before implementing any changes. Thanks for joining us. We are so happy you're here. Hi guys, welcome to the Modern Mamas podcast. Laura here. Jess is taking the week off um, to be with the little the little ones, and so it's just me with a very very special guest. Um, this is episode nineteen. So for those of you who've been here since the beginning, thank you. And for those of you just checking in, thanks for being here. I'm really really excited about this episode today. We are going to talk with Melissa Hemphill all about eating psychology and mindset through the motherhood transition. So um, get excited for that. I figured I'd do a quick check-in, which is a little awkward without Jess here because it's just me talking to you, but um, to update you on a few things, number one, Evie is still not taking a bottle, (laughs) so (laughs) Melissa, that's been um, an issue now for, we've been trying for like five weeks, I think, with no I remember. I remember your post on the NTP with Liz Wolf, right? Oh, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, no luck. Yeah, I posted in Liz's group, and I've had so many people sending me like, great ideas and we've tried it all and she's just she's stubborn she takes after her mama (laughs) she's like hey I know I can have the real thing and so the most recent advice I got was hey try like a sippy cup and maybe because the we we've gotten closer and closer to bottles that are very similar to a boob and so someone said try sippy cup because it's completely different and so and so instead of being like hey this is really close I want the real thing just kind of make it all new so we'll Mm. see um, the big update though, is that I taught at the birth fit professional seminars last, seminar last weekend and Mel, Mel was a huge help for that. <laughs> so thank you. Uh, she's been a big role model to me. Uh, yeah. Basically yeah, I taught you. <laughs> you, you started that whole part of the, of the lecture or the seminar. And then I kind of just, um, I learned a lot from you and made it my own and it was a collaboration for sure, but I'm so grateful yeah. for your support though, through that. Yeah. And um, you killed it. it. I yeah. Heard, so. I mean, it was, it went well. I was very happy with how it went. And I think that's largely to do with, I'm very passionate about the topic, which is basically what we're talking about today. Um, and then I'm also, I also had such the, the participants that were there, the professionals that were there held the space for me to open up and to talk about this stuff because it's, it can be heavy. You know, it's, you kind of have to get, you need mm-hmm buy-in in order to talk about these things. And so they were bought in, they were excited to hear what I had to say and they were participatory and it was really awesome. So if any of you guys listening are professionals in any capacity, so like chiropractors, PTs, doulas, nutritionists, um, what else? OBs, midwives, OBs, midwives, nurses, mm-hmm. um, any of those, I cannot recommend this seminar enough. So Check out. We'll link to it in the show notes. But check out the BirthFit Professional Seminar. The next one's in North Carolina in October. That mm-hmm. is sold out. So 
stay tuned for 2018 at this point, I guess. <laughs> yeah, I've heard rumors of Cleveland, I think, okay. for early next year. That's awesome. I'm excited. Yeah. Sweet. Or Columbus, I think Ohio-ish. <laughs> One of those. Yeah. Somewhere out there. <laughs> That's also foreign to me out here in California. I was telling some oh. of the participants because there were people from all over and it was in Dallas and mm-hmm. they were saying where they were from. And I was like, man, my geography is so bad in the States. Like so bad. <laughs> I'm working on it though. Now if I start oh. traveling more, I'll get a better feel for where I'm at in the world. But yeah. I, I, I know like I know worldwide much better than I know our own, our own uh, country. Just the States, it, it confuses me sometimes. <laughs> mm-hmm. But that's all right. Learn as I go. Um, there we go. All right. Well, now let me introduce our wonderful guest. Uh, Melissa Hemphill is a wife of one handsome man, and I can attest to that. He's very, he's very <laughs> handsome. And uh, mom of three superheroes and one precious angel baby. She graduated from the Air Force Academy in 2011 and is currently a captain in the U.S. Air Force. She has a master's in biology and um, an eating psychology coach certification and a few CrossFit weightlifting and prenatal yoga certifications. Basically, she's a jack of all trade and a master of all as well. Uh-huh. <laughs> yeah, I'd say so. Um, she has an insatiable curiosity about the world and is committed to being a lifelong learner. She is constantly awed by the human mind, body, and spirit, by the connectedness of everything. Mel's mission is to support women in birth of their motherhood as well as the birth of their children, which I think is magical. I get goosebumps just saying it, actually, <laughs> um, because I, having just gone through it so recently, I do feel like I birthed into kind of like a new state of being as a mom, and I felt yeah. very prepared thanks to BirthFit and your support, and um, I'm excited to dive into how much mindset played into that for me, um, so yeah. we're getting into that a little bit more today. But Mel is also um, the BirthFit Colorado Regional Director and a great friend and important role model to me. So super excited to have her on if I hadn't said that enough already. (laughs) Um, So thank you so much for being here. Yeah, thanks for having me. Super excited. So we'd like to start with a question. So question for you is what is something that you're super into right now? It could be anything like food, clothes, books, movies, whatever, in all your spare time. Yeah. (laughs) Um, okay. Actually, this is a really relevant question. So, um, my, my big thing right now, I, I read the the power of now by Eckhart Tolle recently and had some, it seems like I'm being called into like more of a spiritual conversation. Yes. And so like really investigating like religion and spirituality and kind of like where, where we're really all kind of talking about a similar thing, like a similar experience, a similar like state of being. Um, and I guess personally, maybe just a little bit of frustration with religion in the the wall building versus the bridge building. Um, and so just, I've been listening to some really good talks, reading some good books and yeah, I'm like really into the spiritual conversation and how important that is for us as humans. And, and honestly, like how, how big everything seems after and like how little your problems seem after like you know, just looking around like, oh my gosh, like just thinking of like the quantum physics side of things. Like I'm looking at a mountain outside my window right now. And like that mountain is, is mass and it's made of matter and it's made of atoms and like, it's all energy. And like, like that energy comes from somewhere and it's like, it is everything. And like the design of it all. And the fact that we're even here right now talking and we're communicating over the internet and like all of it, it just, like the more I stop to think, like just the more it blows my mind and the more appreciation right. I have for like just the, 
the universal, the cosmic scale of, of existence. That is huge. I wish that we could, I wish that we lived closer so we could just sit down for a coffee and like dive in all that (laughs) stuff. Cause I feel the same way, especially with all of the, not to get political, but like there's so much up, I guess just unrest right now. And when Mm -hmm. I just want to be like, Hey, we're, we all kind of are like, we're all on the same page in terms of, we all could get on the same page if we just kind of opened our minds a little bit too. Mm-hmm. what is really going on, <laughs> you know, I love yeah. it. Cool. And we'll link to that. That book is so powerful. I've, I have it on audiobook and I've listened to it. I'll kind of go in and out of it. Um, it's a great one to have in your back pocket. That's mm-hmm. for sure. It's so awesome. Yeah. It can well, almost, it's like there's, it's so dense. Yes. Like you can't possibly like take everything in that no. there is to offer like once through, you got to keep going back through it. Mm-hmm. And he reads it on audible, I believe. And mm-hmm. so it's yep. very, um, it's like yeah, meditative just in the tone of his voice and, it's very, it's good. So yeah, it's, his transformation is palpable. Right? Yes. Like you can, you can hear it. It's incredible. Mm-hmm. Um, I love it. Okay. So now tell us a little bit about yourself. Um, like how you found your passion, how you got to where you are now. Um, let these guys know a little bit more about who you are. Yeah. Oh man. I don't even know where <laughs> to start. So I'm the oldest of eight kids. Whoa. I, I didn't know I, that. Yeah, I grew up really fast. All the same parents. Like my youngest brother is twenty years younger than me. Oh my god. Um, yeah. So I grew up really fast. I, I feel like I've always been like taking care of babies, and had never really considered like my own motherhood until we found out we were pregnant with Oliver, who turns eight on Sunday. Which I'm like, wow. oh my gosh, I don't know where the time is going. It's like I just, <laughs> I just had you, <laughs> but um, it was totally a surprise pregnancy. Both Anthony and I were cadets at the Air Force Academy when this happened. Um, but you, you cannot have a legal dependent. And so we were very open about the pregnancy and Anthony's paternity. So we had to go through like this legal exchange of parental rights where we severed our rights, adopted him back and like took turns going to school. And it was a two year, really, really dark time um, where we were like geographically separated and going back to school after having had Oliver and like not putting him to bed for the first time when Ugh. it was just like he and I, you know, like nine months in utero, nine months postpartum. And like, it was just he and I, like he was my little shadow. We just did everything together. And then to be like a country, like from Florida to Colorado, like that far away, it was, it was really rough. <laughs> I can't um, imagine. <laughs> but like that whole pregnancy, I think because it was kind of a, and within my family circle and kind of within the larger Air Force Academy community, it was kind of a shameful thing, right? Like you like take responsibility or, um, I, yeah, it was, I, I was in denial for a lot of my pregnancy, you know, and I thought that maybe if I just wouldn't eat, maybe that would, mm. you know, kind of get me out of the situation or, but my, my body was very healthy and <laughs> continued to grow this beautiful little boy who's now turning eight years old. And, um, it's crazy, but I, yeah, I don't have any pictures of me pregnant with him. Really? Like, yeah. I just, I was terrified of labor. I was terrified of birth. I was terrified of becoming a mom. In fact, how old were you I, again at this time? Um, I had just turned 21. Okay. Yeah. You were a baby. We were young. Yeah. Yeah. And, um, I remember when, so we got an epidural cause like, I just, I just couldn't handle like being in the presence of my own labor. Right. And if you had like, been denial was, your whole pregnancy, I can't imagine right. at that moment you would have accepted the pain yeah. that came with labor. <laughs> yes. And it was interesting. So a lot of my mom's friends had been giving me books to read to like prepare me for it. And I thanked them. And then I just hid them. Cause I did, I didn't want to know, like, I just didn't, I just didn't want any of it. And, um, 
And so during labor, I had an epidural and I was, Anthony, we were taking naps because we were up all night the night before just trying to get him from the airport because I wanted to be induced because I needed to have him there because I was terrified of giving birth without him. And, um, and I remember they came to just check and Oliver was crowning and they're like, Oh my gosh, we got to get everyone in here. And, and of course I couldn't feel anything. I had no idea. I just started crying because I wasn't ready. And like, I remember like saying that to the doctors, like, I'm not ready. I'm not ready. I'm not ready. And like, but yet this baby's coming. And then after birth, it was such a, like, like it hit me, like the, like the bigness of, of what had just happened, like holding my child. And it was like, Oh my gosh, like I was not ready for this. Mm -hmm. And, um, it was, it was rough. Postpartum was rough. Like I thought that my parents would feel like more accepting once like the actual baby was there and it wasn't just watching me walk around with a pregnant belly, but that they would have like something to hold a little, little boy to kiss and to snuggle. And that's part uh, of them. I mean, what's that? Yeah, totally. But it was, it was still a really um, difficult time for them. And so it, it didn't really get better at home even after the birth. And so we ended up moving back to Colorado. Uh, this is like a really long story of, of how I got to where I am today, but I love it. Uh, <laughs> I was what I want to hear. I'm like, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, I'm yeah. taking it all in. <laughs> <laughs> but I guess like I, I finally realized like number one, like the, the standard of care, the support for women who find themselves in a position where they're, you know, not, don't feel like they're ready for birth, like, um, or to become a mother or any of it. Like it was such a rocky start. Um, it took us four years to like, kind of come to a place where we could like talk about having another baby again. And that's when Vivian came around and Mm -hmm. that was the pregnancy we were excited about. Like we were like, it was, you know, the one that we want, not that we wanted, but not that we didn't want Oliver, but it was different. It was the energy was so different. Right. Yeah. Like we were, we were open to conceiving at that time. And, um, this time I started like actually reading up on birth and like how to make it better than what I had experienced the first time. And, um, yeah, I read Ina May's book and I, I didn't realize like childbirth could be like, like cool, like, or, you know, simple or normal or just like a natural thing. It just seemed very pathologic to me when I first, you know, everyone just goes in the hospital because something's bound to go wrong. And, mm-hmm. you know, like that, that was kind of my mindset in the beginning. And, um, but man, whenever we had Vivian, we had this natural hospital birth and it was, it was amazing. Cause I, I had set the intention that I wanted to be more present for her birth and I wanted to like feel all the, all the feels. And mm-hmm. I got that. Like I got all Magic. of that. Yeah. Yeah. It's so cool. Yeah. And so it was right it was right then too that like I was really doing a better job of taking care of myself, right? Cause I wasn't in this really kind of a self-harm mindset that I was with Oliver. And, um, and so I just witnessed what, you know, taking care of your body physically, um, nutritionally, um, just like being in the practice of visualization and getting into like positive birth stories and like positive birth images and, surrounding myself with people who believed in that innate power of my body and like how important all of that was. Like I hadn't really seen a chiropractor, I think at that point, but, um, I was kind of in the practice of the other pillars as well. Um, but yeah. And there was then when I found birth fit, which was like, geez, back in like 2013 or something. Like it was, this is after Vivian, right? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So, um, that was pretty cool. And that's, that's about the same time I think when Lindsay Muma found her and 
basically told Matthews, like, how do we make this big? And yeah. uh, so I was, I was fortunate to be part of like that first little group of women who started taking like the birth fit philosophy, um, out into the world. And, um, yeah, I just, so I'm still in the air force. Like I went back and I graduated and, um, I've been training, I've done like some CrossFit stuff and competed and I've done some strongman and competed there. And I just pregnant, right? Didn't you compete while you were pregnant? <laughs> yeah. That was like pre, uh, some of the more recent like realization <laughs> mind shifts. Yeah. Yeah. So like yeah. with Vivian, I was, I did like a hang snatch at, or I was maxing a hang snatch at like 39 weeks pregnant. Oh my God. What, what business do I have lifting a freaking barbell that far out around my belly? I mean, just like, there's just so much more, right? It was more of an ego thing at that point. Like, yeah. let me show you how fit I can be while pregnant versus what is truly an appropriate movement for birth? Mm-hmm. What is going to actually make this birth better? What will set me up for postpartum better? Um, lifting, doing a snatch with a barbell is actually right. not one of those things. And yeah. I took, I learned a lot from you in that regard. Cause I, you know, we've talked about how the, the two, the separation between that pregnancy and then the next. And mm-hmm. I really took that into my pregnancy because I love Olympic lifting. It's my favorite. Yeah. I would do it every single day if I could. I mm-hmm. have in the past and I've hurt myself because of it. And so for me, it's like the second I noticed my bar path changing, I stopped. And that was largely because you inspired me to do so. Because the, the, what I kept hearing is your voice in my head, like, hey, think of this as an opportunity to kind of like reset. And I've come back to it now and it, everything feels so good. My positions are better. I've gained more posterior uh, chain strength during pregnancy. I think partly counterbalancing the belly and then also mm-hmm. working a lot on box squats and whatnot. And yeah. so now coming back, like I feel my position in the bottom is better. Like everything's just better. And so I'm so grateful that I took that time away. Oh. It's pretty awesome. <laughs> yeah. And I think we were afraid of losing it or mm-hmm. something, but you're almost more I likely mean, really... to lose it if you use bad form and pull around your belly and whatnot, because now you're going to come back with bad practices and bad habits. Exactly. And like virtuosity, I feel is extremely important all the time, but especially during pregnancy. Like, why would you not do a movement to the absolute best quality that you possibly can? Mm-hmm. Um, and so, yeah, when during pregnancy, when virtuosity is not attainable for a specific movement, just alter the movement so that you can maintain virtuosity. Yeah. So, yeah. Yeah. And it's a good lesson coming back too, because, you know, I'm just starting to take classes again. I've been training on my own, you know, slowly easing back mm-hmm. birth fit, postpartum programming, and then just starting to take classes. And I took a class on Tuesday after, you know, being gone for four days for the birth fit seminar and came back and just like went at it. And it was back squats and e-mama back squats and wall balls. And the next day I could hardly walk. And I, I thought to myself, like, what was I, what was I thinking? <laughs> it's better today, but I, my legs were so sore Aww. and mentally I could do it. And even physically I could do it, but I haven't pushed that hard at those weights in a long time. So yeah. it was a good lesson for me and, you know, practice what I preach and, and there's going to be ebbs and flows and no one's perfect all the time, but we t- it's yeah. a matter of like, don't try not to make the same mistakes more than once. Um, yeah. So it's good. And, and it's amazing. Like postpartum, your recovery, your ability, like the rate at which you can recover just gets better. Like I felt like every week I noticed the difference. Yeah. And so like, it just, yeah, like it was just a data point for where you were in that particular snapshot of time. Mm-hmm. But, and I didn't, I'm not yeah. hurt, yeah. you know, it's just like, it's, yeah. it's a soreness. It's like, I, mm-hmm. I haven't felt in a long time and maybe it's a good thing. I mean, <laughs> in a way, cause it's like, oh yeah, that's what this feels like. Yeah. But, um, I mean, I'm coming at it in a much better place because, uh, little ones, do you hear her? 
little ones crying in the background. I hear, yeah. <laughs> this audience is pretty used to her making noises, but um, <laughs> anyway, so I guess that's kind of, do you have anything else you want to include about how you got where you are or oh, I feel like, uh, no, I just started chatting. Really, yeah. <laughs> No, I, that was, that was pretty. Okay. That was good. I, I love hearing it. I could hear that story over and over. Aww. And there, you have an episode on the birth it podcast, right? Where you like really tell like deep into your story. Yeah. So I'll link yes. to that too. Um, okay. It's one of the, it's one of the early ones. I yeah. think I remember listening to it and be like, I cannot wait to meet this lady one day. <laughs> so awesome. So we're going to dive in a little bit more to, um, mindset and eating psychology. Um, <laughs> she's gonna walk by real quick they're going on a walk yeah. oh easy kid oh oh look at the baby wearing yeah husband's got Aww. her in the ergo for those of you listening and they're going this it always calms her down if uh he takes her for a walk hopefully we'll see um otherwise yeah she there she goes <laughs> oh, poor thing. Aww. So those those quick side note, Rusty came to the seminar with me and Evie. And so they got a lot of really quality bonding time, which was really awesome. I was so stressed about the whole situation, you know, going into it and then it ended up being the most magical weekend and like even more benefits. Like obviously I had a magical time at the seminar, but then also like they got time together and it just made me feel so much more relaxed about going back to work and all of it. So mm-hmm. side note awesome. there, you know, it's pretty awesome when dads and babies bond. It's a very cool, very cool mm-hmm. thing. So um, speaking of anxiety about the seminar, <laughs> let's talk about uh, mindset. <laughs> so we're going to talk more about mindset and eating psychology today. And um, we have a lot of good questions that came in, especially with the eating psychology stuff. Mindset, we could talk Probably we should do a whole episode just on mindset. But um, when you think about mindset in terms of the motherhood transition, like what are and the pillar? So those of you listening, BirthFit is, I mean, BirthFit has four pillars. And one of them, arguably one of the most important um, is mindset. So when you think of mindset in regards to the motherhood transition, what comes to mind to you and what do you see as being most important? Um, a loaded question, the, but. <laughs> it is, yeah. I, the, the most important thing though in my opinion, is like a cultivation of presence, right? Like being in your body and being comfortable in your body because labor is going to demand an intense amount of presence, like through contractions, through the marathon that is labor and birth. And as a mother, right? Like it's a beautiful divine preparation for all of that. Um, your, your kids, like I find myself when I'm distracted, like that's when they get a little crazy and like they're, they're seeking my attention. But if I can just pause and be fully present with them, like we're all good. So it's just like showing up for yourself, showing up for your baby, showing up for your family, um, in a, in a major way where you're a hundred percent where you are right now. Um, because really that's where anything can be felt. Like that's all we have are just these sequential nows. We just have, you know, like we can't keep putting off a sensation or, um, something into the future and making it constrained out there saying, I'll finally feel happy or confident or sexy or, um, empowered when I get something else. Um, that's just how you keep staying small and not getting and being those things that you really want. Yes. And never is that, I feel like never is that more reality than in labor. Um, because Mm -hmm. you can't escape it and it is now. (laughs) So cultivating that mindset and that practice while you're pregnant and even preconception, I think is so important. Mm -hmm. I love it. Totally. Really awesome. And what's awesome, like kind of like a a beautiful byproduct 
like an evolutionary byproduct even of, of presence is that downregulation of the sympathetic nervous system where you can actually be in the state of growth, restoration, healing, which happens to also be optimal di- digestion metabolism, right? Like if yeah. you, you like kind of tie the eating psychology back into it as well, um, like the state of your mind, the state of your body and how it's being stimulated like by the nervous system matters and your breath and connecting to your breath and pausing and being in the present moment gets you to that state faster than anything else. Yeah, that's, it's amazing. And I love how these two tie in because a lot, a lot, we get most, obviously most of our questions that came in were actually, I think maybe all of them were involved with food because Mm -hmm. those two things are so closely intertwined and especially throughout the motherhood transition because preconception, a lot of moms are concerned with like, what can I eat to make sure my fertility is at its best and so that I can Mm -hmm. conceive in a healthy state. And then when you're pregnant, there's everything from and you've got aversions and morning sickness and cravings, and you're also worried about putting on too much or not enough weight and then nourishing the baby. And then postpartum, mm-hmm. we want to bounce back and get our bodies to look a certain way. And, and all of that is so tied to an emotional space. Um, mm-hmm. So segueing into that, um, what is, so you have a certification, you're a certified eating psychology coach. Yes. Yes. So mm-hmm. what did that process look like and what does eating psychology um, like mean to you? now that you've been through all of that and you've taught it now for, for yeah. um, a little bit. Um, so I, I heard Mark David, he's the founder of the Institute for the Psychology of Eating. I heard him speak on a podcast and um, I think he might've like plugged his book at the end. It was called Nourishing Wisdom. He's also the author of The Slow Down Diet. And um, so I was like blown away. Like I felt like he was talking directly to me during this podcast about like all of the, the, the who you are as an eater side of nutrition. Cause right. Everyone's hyper-focused on the, what to eat. Just tell me what to eat. Tell me my macros, tell me my calories, tell me my heart rate. Like we just want something tangible to hold in our hands. And we dismiss the, like the, who you are. We, we dismiss like the psychobiology of, of the coming to a meal and eating. Um, and like, what's the reason before that? Like what's the divine message and potentially these negative symptoms? How is this body? How is this um, you know, it, it could be like a, what you perceive as a problem, but like, how is this actually your body's solution to returning to homeostasis? And we do this from an emotional standpoint too, not just physical. So you think of homeostasis as maintaining like body temperature or osmotic pressure, um, or, you know, any like blood pH, like any number of things. But we also do this when we're feeling very much out of balance in an emotional capacity, like, like overjoyed or grief or anger or fear. Like we, we choose different foods from a different state of being. Um, and in a lot of ways it's because those foods create a specific like biochemical response in the body that gets you to the feeling or back to that homeostasis that you were looking for. And a lot of this doesn't happen at like the conscious level. No one knowingly says, I'm going to eat a quart of ice cream so that I feel loved. Like we don't say that, right? We just start going to town on a quart of ice cream and Mm -hmm. then we start making ourselves wrong and guilty for having done it. And the reality is it was just, it was just an experience. It was just your body's solution to it. And it doesn't have to be tied up into morals. It was just potentially an ineffective choice for whatever the actual problem was. I love that. I love the switch from, um, and this is still so fresh in my mind from the seminar, but the switch from food as moral, good or bad to food as effective or ineffective. 
Um, and like you just said that eating the ice cream doesn't make a person bad and the ice cream itself isn't a bad thing. It's just not necessarily an effective way to find the love that whoever is eating the ice cream was seeking. Mm-hmm. And I think that's huge. I think people, I know I've, I've, I spent a lifetime almost doing that where I was, I equated food to, to morality, um, in some regard. And, you know, I spent a long time as a vegetarian and to me eating meat wasn't it was bad. You know, it would make me a bad person and not because I guess just, I, I had it so ingrained in my mind that especially like red meat and egg yolks and stuff were bad. And that's so much a product I think of society and what we're told from a very young age. And I find that Mm -hmm. pretty fascinating too. Yeah. It's interesting. I've been thinking more about this as well. Like, why do we, why do we do that? Mm -hmm. Especially if it causes more suffering. And I think, I think it's a, a, an oversimplification right? Like as humans, we've got a lot of stimulus coming in. We need to quickly categorize things and make that judgment and then move forward. Like we're just, we're meaning making machines. We, we put mm-hmm. a stamp on it. We're like, Hey, that goes in this box, that goes in this box and life marches on. And I think that we do this with food, right? Cause think of how much more responsible you have to be to decide what it is that you truly want what does it look like for you to get there? What actually means effective? What actually means ineffective? And then like honoring that, like it's a versus just putting it in your good box, bad box and moving forward. Right. Like right. it's, it's a little bit more complicated. It's a little bit more intentional. Um, and it, yeah, I just, that, that's something that I've been thinking about recently. Like, man, I just, part of me, like, why do we punish ourselves? Like, why do we seek language and behaviors that ultimately causes more suffering. Yeah. It's a very interesting thing. And then with the onslaught now of social media and all the images and all that, it makes Mm -hmm. it even more so where you eat something and then you go on Instagram and you see some woman with like the quote unquote perfect body. And, and then you feel even worse about the decision that you made because now you have something to compare it against right away. Right. Right. And we get so much feedback through those avenues as well. And so you can put like a picture of a food of a meal that was like really, really healthy. And now you're not only getting the feedback in your own mind thinking I did good, but then you get all these other people providing some sort of feedback or a picture of your, your body, you know, and it's just, it's, um, we're not only dealing with our own morals, but then with the, what other people put on us in terms of what they yeah. is moral. <laughs> yeah. Like an agreement, like there's a collective agreement mm-hmm. of what is morally good with food and body and what is not. Yeah. And that is tough. So interesting. Yeah. And then you take all of that, which just to a, a quote unquote normal person is difficult. And then you add in this motherhood transition where now there's a whole nother, there's a whole nother life dependent on you. And then also all this pressure from society and within ourselves to look a certain way or not gain a certain amount of weight or, you know, be perfect. Um, which Mm -hmm. is again, exacerbated by social media. So I kind of want to dive into this in each phase of, um, that motherhood transition, starting with preconception, because I know for myself, I went through a phase where I had no, um, cycle for a really long time and no period, and so I put so much pressure on myself to get my period back through food. You know, I was just going to nutrition harder. I was going to eat more grass-fed liver. And I was going to, you know, try all the superfoods and make the shakes and get all the supplements. And it still wouldn't come back. And it wasn't until mm-hmm. I really focused in on my mindset um, and being present and, and creating a mindfulness practice that that it finally came back. And in fact, when I when my period did come back, I was much less focused on getting in like the quote unquote superfoods. I was just eating kind of what I felt like eating kind of in a celebratory place in my life mm-hmm. and still high quality, but you know, not focusing so much on it. And it's amazing to me that that's what brought it back. 
you know? And so I guess my question for you would be, have you worked with, or what are your thoughts about that phase um, specifically for women who are trying to get pregnant and the psychology of eating behind that? Uh, yeah, 100%. That (laughs) is huge. And I love what you talked about. Like until like, even though you were eating like all of the right things, Mm -hmm. right? Like all the things that would be fertility promoting foods, there was still something that was not like helping, like unlocking that fertility for you. And this is the part where like, you can kind of, we can like nerd out a little bit on the science of like stress chemistry, because let's say you and I sit down and we eat liver and, you know, (laughs) what, like a beautiful meal, right? Like it's, it's extremely nutrient dense. Sardines and, and liver and coconut oil. And yeah. <laughs> yeah. Just like straight fat. <laughs> That's what we're going to eat. <laughs> and, and of course fiber too, right? Right. So, um, so yeah, let's say you and I sit down at a table and you eat and you're coming from a place of, of like a relaxation response, like optimal, like digestion metabolism. And I'm sitting down and like, holy shit, this is more fat than I'm supposed to have today. And what will my macros look like? What will I not be able to eat tonight? And what will my body look like tomorrow? And I come from a place of like storytelling and stress. Yeah. You are going to get more nutrients from your meal than I will. Like, like we can measure this. And this is because with stress chemistry, being in a sympathetic activation, what happens is that you get less, like four times less blood flow to the gut, 10,000 times decrease in digestive enzymes output in the gut. You get die off of good gut, good, um, healthy gut bacteria, <laughs> the ones that are helping to produce neurotransmitters that like the effective bacteria, the effective bacteria, <laughs> um, you get like mitochondrial impairment, you get like decreased efficiency of gas exchange, you get inhibited metabolism. You cannot get all of the same nutrients from that meal in a state of stress. So you could be eating all the right things like till the cows come home. But if your body is in a chronic stress response, a lot of those nutrients are going into the toilet. Like they're not, they're not sticking around. You don't necessarily have the resources to gather all the nutrients that you're supplying to your body. So it, it 100%, it's like not an airy fairy thing, right? Like it's, it's really grounded in science. And, um, and at the same time, like, how do you tell someone, like, you can't just say, stop being stressed stop when you stressing eat. about right? food. Like, yeah. Then they're yeah. going to stress about stressing about food. <laughs> exactly. Like, oh my, and, and I noticed this. So I actually, I just taught a seminar class for eating psychology, mm-hmm. um, at the air force Academy. It was amazing. It, it turned, it was like 10 hours worth of like lectures and activities and, um, it was so fascinating that my students were doing this. They, they would practice them like a couple meals where they like slowed down, they tasted their food, they experienced it, which is really hard for them to do at, in the Air Force Academy. There's just like tons of demands on their time. They're constantly like onto the next thing. They like inhale food. They don't taste it. They don't experience it. Yeah. They're all trying to like lose weight. And it's, even though like they don't necessarily need to, right? right? Like it's just like this, this collective mindset that you got to be stronger, leaner, faster, smarter, all of the things. Um, but they would, they would find like, oh my gosh, like my meal, like I felt better. I didn't have bloating. I didn't have indigestion. Like they experienced the positive outcomes of slowing down when they eat. And then on like the next day or two, when they had a meal that was like, they were scarfing it down again, they started making themselves feel guilty for not <laughs> stopping to slow down to eat. Right. They were almost like using it against themselves, oh, which man. I thought was like kind of hilarious. Um, so we got to talk about like feedback versus failure a little bit in yeah. that conversation, right? Cause Which that's such a powerful shift. It is. Yeah. If you versus can see, failure. Yeah. 
if, if failure, if you can take like the negativity out of failure and just see it as a stepping stone to getting closer to where you actually want to be mm-hmm. like, Oh my gosh, like that's, that's massive. It, it takes a lot of the fear and the uncertainty out of like what Logan calls closing the gap, like right. you know, in that realm of trying to reach your fullest potential, you have to fail. You're going to, mm-hmm. if you're in action around something, you're going to fail. And that's awesome because now you know how not to get there. It's right. just data, right? Like it's, it's, it's slowly trimming the boundaries of where you need to go. So I just, yeah, I think that's, that's a really important conversation. Yes. And especially in that preconception, you know, talking about failure and I wouldn't call this failure, but I think a lot of um, moms might, or women trying to conceive might see failure if, if they're not conceiving and they can't figure out why. And so then there's this whole like, I've got nutrition harder, take more supplements or what's wrong with me. Why can't I conceive? And, um, Mm. that's a whole, you know, that's a pretty loaded conversation in and of itself, but in that capacity, you know, psychology and mindset plays can play for me, it was huge. And so, um, not seeing, I think that's a really hard shift is to not see yourself as failing. Um, but and that's, it's a hard one. I mean, we could do, again, a whole podcast just on that and we will at some point do a fertility one, but I find it pretty, pretty important for this conversation as well. Yeah. Um, and that's, that's one thing that I actually talked to my students about, but something that like we try to, um, foot stomp or at least make, like, make, like put it out there for awareness is that people are not inherently broken. Right. And, and when, and I see this a lot in medical communities, like, like you're broken, let me fix you. It's kind of the mindset. And it comes from a great place, like a, a place of love and caring and wanting to help others. But if you can interact with someone as like a whole person and you treat them as someone who doesn't need to be fixed, but someone who's just investigating like that next evolutionary step for them, mm-hmm. like, oh my gosh, like that's really powerful. It's a different energy that you encounter with someone when you don't see them as broken. And like, there's not this like power struggle where I have the solution to all of your problems, but it's like you, you have the wisdom within you. We just have to like kind of elicit it. We just have to start tapping into like, who do you want to be? Like, how, how does that look? Like, what I'm going to get, get emotional you? because that's huge. Oh. I think I didn't even realize, like you just told me something about myself that I didn't realize is that when I was trying to fix myself, I wasn't fixing <laughs> things were not going well, but as soon as I let go and didn't see myself as inherently broken anymore, then, um, then my period came back and like, that's a, it's like a huge light bulb because I think so, so often we see ourselves as broken when we just maybe need to give ourselves a little bit of grace. Yeah, totally. That's really powerful. I see that in my consults too. People will schedule and they'll tell me like, this is where I'm broken. Uh, Can you fix me? Yeah. And, and like typically the first conversation is that you're not broken. Like you, you are whole and perfect and your body is surviving in the best way it knows how. Mm -hmm. So like, let's, let's work with it. Let's, let's figure out how we can just enhance the the wholeness that you already have. And that's so cool. <laughs> wow. Okay. So then moving on to pregnancy, taking kind of the same concept of eating psychology into pregnancy. So now, now I'm pregnant, let's say, and I want to eat all the best things for my baby, but then I'm also throwing up and I also have all these weird aversions and I also want to eat donuts and that's it, just donuts all day. And so then we have moms giving themselves such a hard time because they know inherently what they should be eating, um, or intuitively, but, but in some cases they can't or, they just don't. And so then we get the morality again and, and, or, or on the other side of the spectrum, they see like, I can eat for two now. 
um, Mm -hmm. cause I'm pregnant and it's almost like a, um, I, I'm owed this since I've seen, you know, I've seen and heard that, like I am carrying this kid, so I can eat whatever I want. And so sometimes we have the two um, opposite ends of the spectrum. So what are your thoughts there? I think they both come from a place of restriction. Yeah. First of all, right. Like you've got the person who's been restricting and now this is an excuse to stop it Mm -hmm. because they, they felt horrible and kind of enslaved maybe by their diet or like the yo-yoing of diets. Cause that tends to be like a common um, trend in people who like quote unquote, not let go, but who take the eat for two mindset yeah. into pregnancy. Yeah. But like there, there's like, there's always a, a diet, like, like a wagon them. mentality. Like I'm yeah. going to go off the wagon or whatever. Right? I yes. Assume. Yes. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. Um, and then even for the women who, who feel like, who feel like they've got, they, they know what to eat. They're also probably in the practice of restriction as well, mm-hmm. that like food is good and bad and holy cow, I don't have an appetite for eggs or for meat or for vegetables anymore. Like what the heck do I eat mm-hmm. if I'm eating exclusively paleo or whole 30 or whatever it might be. Mm-hmm. Um, and what's really cool about that. And I think this, this stems from an attachment to a standard way of eating. So for most people of adult age, um, we, we, they're in the phase of the maintenance diet, which is kind of the general foods that make you feel good for like your normal day. Um, like you're not sick, you're not recovering or prepping for a surgery. You're not pregnant or postpartum or breastfeeding. Um, you're just kind of like you as yourself, as your adult self. Um, but if you think about it, the needs of you as a person have changed so much from when you were a baby, right? Like if you look, like think to your infant Laura self, mm-hmm. right? Like what were your nutrition, nutritional needs? What about like the eight year old going through the growth spurt? What were her nutritional needs? What about like the pregnant versus the postpartum and breastfeeding Laura versus like going to be the 90, 10, 90, 10, <laughs> like the 98 year old Laura, you know, like it's, yeah. it, it changes. Like we don't need to stay attached to one specific way of eating and then make ourselves bad for not like sticking with it. Mm-hmm. And what's really, really particularly interesting about that first trimester is that this is like an evolutionary adaptation that we avoid foods that might contain an infectious disease or a bacteria that might cross the placenta and cause harm to the baby. We are driven to avoid those. So when all you want is crackers, <laughs> chances are you're not going to encounter listeria and crackers. Like that's right. just how that goes. Mm-hmm. Right. But like if you're having raw eggs or raw meat, um, or even just like kind of a, a fresh vegetable, it still might not sit well with you because we are driven to be averse to those, mm-hmm. um, especially during the most vulnerable time of field development in that first trimester. So it's how cool, right? Like it's mm-hmm. instead of it being like, I'm broken because I can't eat eggs. It's like, wow, look at my body protecting baby. And like, we can make through it. Like we, we can survive this period of time. Like it's, it's, it's just a season. Yeah. So, yeah. Um, and Gina's that. got some like really good, um, like advice and stuff for, for particularly for that first trimester. If, um, like if she's really sick or like really like cannot handle any protein, um, we're basically either just putting band-aids on it or we have mom eat as nutrient dense as possible when she feels the best during the day. Yeah. Uh, so you just kind of like work with your body and, again, like how amazing, what a divine preparation for labor and birth. Mm -hmm. 
you know, like I went through a phase where all I could eat was scrambled eggs and toast and butter. So, you know, and this is what I talk to the people I work with about the moms I work with about as well is like, so I'm going to choose like a high quality sourdough or gluten-free bread that I know Mm -hmm. is going to sit well and it isn't going to be like have a bunch of weird processed stuff in it. I'm going to pick pastured eggs and I'm going to get grass fed butter and I'm going to eat that all day. Cause that's yeah. what works, you know, and I'm not going to eat greens for weeks. Craving. You did you? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, and I, I wanted I, salt was, on uh, everything. Egg sandwiches. Oh yeah. Yeah. And oh, salt. That's yep. I sea salt. Like I, a redhead. Maybe. <laughs> 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 Rusty has probably never cooked so, so many scrambled eggs in his <laughs> life. That's like all I could eat. Cause I was really, really sick. But again, I had like, you know, the birth fit mindset where I do the best I can with what I've got. And I, I, that's one thing I'm grateful for is I never beat myself up during pregnancy because I, I had kind of like walked through this and I understood also that, you know, it's a phase and, and I've had a whole lifetime of eating ahead of this. And so this one little phase of, of life or pregnancy or whatever, like I'm not going to eat a vegetable and everyone's going to be okay. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Not, versus like trying to force it down and then feeling worse. And so again, I think it comes back to like giving ourselves a little bit of grace mm-hmm. um, in those periods. So, so then what are your thoughts on cravings? And, and the psycho, I guess this, cause we know, I mean, we could talk about the, the nutritional needs and how cravings can potentially tell us something, but then a lot of times women will either, um, like dive into those full steam ahead and sometimes maybe not make the best choices, the most effective choices, or they'll, they'll deprive themselves from things they might be craving because they think that it might be good or, or they might, that it might be bad or good to avoid them. So what are your thoughts there? Yeah. Um, this is, I'll probably leave like the truly nutritional need craving like to someone else to discuss. Yeah. Um, but oftentimes if there's a craving, I recommend just pausing and connecting to the breath to see what it is that you truly need and like ask yourself that question. And when you get into that state of wisdom, of relaxation, like you might be surprised what comes up for you. And like, it's nothing that I could just say right now, like, oh, ice cream means this and potatoes mean this. Like okay. that, that's, it's, it's completely different and it manifests differently for everyone. But if you can like get clear. So like, for instance, um, when I was pregnant with Hank, I like, I just, I like, I, I never really had cravings, but this one time, like I really needed like a broccoli cheese bowl at Panera bread. <laughs> like I don't eat that. Last time I ate that was like 12 years ago or something. Oh, funny. So if I had actually paused and I didn't do this before I did afterwards. Um, but if I had paused to ask myself what I truly needed, I really needed like a little bit of nostalgia. Yeah. Like that's, I was seeking kind of like a time of life where like I had community and like that reminds me of my family and it was warm and it was filling and grounding. Like that's what I was after. And I didn't have to go eat it to like get nostalgia. Like, yep. I mean, it, it helped to an extent, but then I didn't feel good afterwards because I don't eat gluten anymore. Or like my dairy, it was not like high quality necessarily the yeah. dairy that I normally eat. Um, so it was interesting. And I, I, yeah, I went on a huge guilt trip after, you know, I felt like I had binged on the bread bowl, but, um, and it wasn't a binge, right? Like it's yeah. not actually what that was, but like you make it so much bigger than yeah. it actually is. And moral. That's funny. Cause yeah. I was at the grocery store and I bought a box of mac and cheese, right? Like I was going to go home and make it and sausage. And I was going to, cause it, when I was a kid and now I'm like, Oh, when I was a kid, my mom would make mac and cheese and cut up hot dogs in there. Yeah. <laughs> and I must, cause I was like, why I didn't actually eat it by the time I got home and everything, like it had all passed and it's probably still in our pantry. But, um, <laughs> and now I look back and like, okay, that explains it. I got in like chicken, apple sausage and this like Annie's, uh, mac and cheese, gluten-free mac and cheese. And, um, 
maybe Rusty ended up eating it, but that must have been it, like a nostalgia thing. <laughs> yeah. So funny. And it's, and it's interesting, and it's always different. And, like, I think I told the story about, like, kind of finding myself in front of the refrigerator or the freezer, like, ready to just go to town to, like, a pint of ice cream. Yeah. And one time when I actually paused and took some deep breaths and was like, what do I, what do I need right now? It was a hug. It was just a little bit of love, right? And, like, the ice cream wasn't going to give that to me, but I felt like I needed it. Like, I craved it mm-hmm. because I was actually craving love. And food is a beautiful symbolic substitute. Mm-hmm. Not just, I mean, because, oh, for so many reasons, but you encounter it so many times during the day. And it also, like, like it has like the chemicals of the food itself will change what receptors they're binding, what neurotransmitters they're releasing, kind of like a sensation, like an overall sensation in the body, like numbness or grounding or stimulation. Like we can do that to ourselves with food. Yeah. So um, it's, it's not always about the, like just eat this and don't eat that, right? Like it's, it's so much bigger than that. From the time we're little, I know we've talked about this and I've heard you talk about it. Like I see Evie nursing and she'll look up and just give me the biggest smile. And I'm like, you, she knows I love her because I'm giving her food through my boob and, and vice versa. You know, she's, she loves mm-hmm. me so much and that's, it's, she doesn't love me just because of the food I give her, but that's definitely a big part of it. Sometimes that's all that can make her happy, you know? And so that's what, from, from the time we're born, food is, is, it's literally everything. <laughs> it is. Yeah. Because to the infant brain, like it's not as developed. Like you, you can't necessarily separate it all out because you are mom and you are love mm-hmm. and you are also food because food comes from you mm-hmm. and you are food and you are love and love is food. And like, it's all that it's all tied together. Yeah. So like we, we as women have a more complicated relationship with food because we're the primary nourishers. We, mm-hmm. we express love through food, like by feeding others um, that's kind of like innate, it's innate quality within us. And it's not all women, but for the most part, um, but men too, right. Men take that same wiring with them into adulthood where food means something, you know, anytime that you eat for something other than hunger, Mm -hmm. whether you realize it or not, like you're emotionally eating and we're emotional beings. And so we emotionally eat (laughs) like that's, that's just part of it. And it's, it's just, yeah, just something to be aware of. Yeah, I think that's huge. Because I know for, for myself, I was um, I couldn't eat a lot of things when I was pregnant. I was sick through a lot of my pregnancy. I couldn't eat big meals. And so once Evie arrived, like I was starving, yes, because of breastfeeding. But I was eating like all healthy stuff, but a lot. And so it was like a cele- celebration for me. Um, and uh, and still now, it's like, okay, I should probably start weaning off. But like every night, we eat dinner early, and then she nurses all evening. And then by 8 <laughs> o'clock, I'm like, okay, where's my like coconut ice cream and and cookies and whatnot. And it's become now like a, a ritual. So this food has become like an every mm-hmm. evening dessert because I'm hungry because I've been nursing, but then we've already had dinner. So now it's time for sweets and we get into these mm-hmm. like habitual kind of ritualistic celebrate. We use food as celebration or food as, mm-hmm. you know, all of that. And so I find it just super fascinating and I can see myself in that. Um, and at this point I'm kind of like, yeah, I'm rolling with it. Yeah. <laughs> but, uh, postpartum is a whole nother ball game just in terms of, and now you can maybe eat things that you couldn't eat before because you were sick or for whatever reason, and it's a time to celebrate. But then also we're being told we need to bounce back and you know lose the baby weight and all that. So I think of all the three, postpartum might be the toughest on a lot of women in terms of like beating themselves up um, because mm-hmm. they expect they have expectations or other people have expectations of them. So what are your thoughts in that one? I know we've talked about this offline just in terms of like you know, the struggles that women go through. So I'm curious to hear more. Yeah. Um, specifically with like 
the wanting to get the pre-baby body back. Yeah. Let's dive yeah. into that. That's a big one. It is a big one. Um, <laughs> and it's hard. Like every pregnancy I've had, like it, it comes up, like mm-hmm. even with Hank, right. After having like the most birth fit pregnancy and right. birth and all of that, like it's still like you, you look in the mirror and I remember like immediately after birth, you're like, where'd my, where'd my belly go? Like, Oh, the baby's here. The baby's, you yeah. know, like, and you're just like in awe of like everything. And then it only takes a couple of weeks and all of a sudden you're like, Oh, but this is fast. This is still here. Yeah. And, and it's like, Oh, that's so, so crazy that like, I would, I would already start to judge that this mm-hmm. body that just spent nine months growing another human being who's now like over here taking a nap. Like it's, <laughs> it's crazy. So, um, I think the biggest thing for the postpartum woman, especially when it comes to food, because the, the food will follow, like the choices that she makes around food is going to follow kind of where she's at and like what she's, what her goals are, what her desired outcome is for her body and for how she wants to feel. So I would get mom to like connect with her postpartum body because mm-hmm. um, we talk about the analogy of if you, you got to like get in the car to, to go from point A to point B. Like you can't stand outside the car and say, I want to get to point B, but I'm unwilling to get into the car here at point A. Um, so the same thing is with your body. You want to get your body to a different place. You have to be in it. You have to be embodied. And the way that we do that is through a state of presence, mm-hmm. which is kind of another recurring theme. Um, but through a state of presence and a state of appreciation, because really what you focus on expands. And if you look at your body and all you see is all the negative things, all the things that you wish were different, like that's, that's what you'll see everywhere you go. And, and really how you, how you feel is like kind of a projection of how you appear to other people. So everyone thinks that once I look a certain way, I'll feel a certain way. Um, but really it's like how you feel is how you look. If you feel confident and sexy, people like, experience that they see that in you and they respond to it. Like I look at, so back when I was like really neurotic with my food and like kind of wrapped up in a lot of disordered eating, like there's pictures of me and like my smiles, like, uh, like it's, it's really, (laughs) it's really gross. Like, it's just like, Oh, like you can tell I'm uncomfortable in my body. Yeah. And then this is like, I, I first noticed this on like the first few nights that I ever drank, which was like much later. Cause I was pregnant with Oliver when I turned 21. <laughs> yeah. um, but on nights that I like had a drink or two and we took pictures of all the girls, I was like genuinely happy. Yeah. And like the smile was different. My like aura was different in the picture. And I was like, that's so weird. Why is it when I drink that I seem prettier than when I'm not drinking? And I realized it was because I'm, in like uninhibited, yeah. like with alcohol, I mean, chemically. Right. But right. at the same time, like I can create a sense of like, like showing up as my fullest self, like a full self-expression, a full state of empowerment. And I don't have to have alcohol to do that. And right. it, it really just takes getting connected to like, what's important to you, what, what it is that you want to feel and then being in action around that. So, um, so for a postpartum woman, she might say, well, I want to lose this baby weight. I want to lose 10 pounds, 20 pounds, whatever it is. And it's like, okay, so what will having that weight unlock for you that you don't currently have access to? And she, you know, typically she's not ready for that, right? Because it's just, <laughs> it's the shallow goal that she's after. She's like, well, then I'll be able to fit into my jeans or I'll be able to, um, I'll feel better about myself if I'm skinnier. I'll, I'll feel healthier is sometimes something we'll say. And I'm not saying that those are bad goals at all, but like, okay, now what will that get for you? Like, Mm -hmm. what does having 
your genes back? What does having a feeling of being healthy, like what does that actually unlock for you? Does it unlock more time with your kids? Does it (laughs) unlock like a sense of, um, being in action around maybe like going on a date with someone or maybe it's, um, pursuing a degree. Like what, what is it that, that lights you up and how do we make that a reality? Because really food tends to be kind of a scapegoat or kind of a proxy of getting, of getting those things, even though it's not necessarily going to get us closer to maybe leadership or closer to, um, a, the degree that you want or a, a state of empowerment. Like it's, it's so interesting. Like the things that we will use food for. Yeah. It kind of acts as like a, a bandaid or like a superficial fix for things when, yeah. um, maybe what we really need or want is, is, uh, much deeper down. <laughs> yeah. And I think it just comes to accessibility mm-hmm. too. Like you can exert like a sensation, a sense of control, a sense of, um, I don't like a, not necessarily a domination, but like you can exert a force of being over food and you can like behave differently around it and in relationship to it. And sometimes that's a little bit easier than just doing the real thing itself. Yeah. And, and this is something that came up at the seminar this past weekend is this concept of like control when everything else feels out of control. For instance, like a a new mom now has a baby and she's trying to figure out how to be a mother and there's crying and her whole world is like turned upside down. But the one thing she can control is food restriction and what she puts in her body and, and macro counting or whatever. And same thing, you know, with when someone gets pregnant or whatever the case may be, food is easy to control. It's very easy Mm -hmm. to control and it can act as a bandaid when everything else feels kind of outside of that control. Yeah. I always do the zone diet when I'm feeling out of control. And I'm like, why why am I weighing my food again? Oh, it's because (laughs) because I've got a lot of shit going on and I am having a difficult, I'm having difficulties just being present with that. Yeah. And it's not always necessarily, I mean, again, we don't want to moralize. So like good or bad, I think those types of things can serve a purpose. For instance, like meal prepping, like every Sunday I'm just going to meal prep the same exact food and the same exact yeah. quantities and eat it all week because I need to not to have to think about it. Um, totally. I've got a lot else going on, which I, I think that's a pretty interesting concept too. It's like, uh, I heard, uh, what's his name? Who's the guy that made Apple <laughs> blinking? Oh, Steve Jobs. Steve Jobs like, yeah. wore the same exact thing to work every single day because he just didn't want to have to yeah. think about it. And sometimes we just need to not to ha- not think about food. Um, totally. And to be to make space for other things. And I think that's an interesting concept as well. One hundred percent. Yeah. So um, there is absolutely a place for counting macros, for doing his own diet, for like hardcore meal prepping, and there's totally a place for that. If if you are a fuller version of yourself by doing that, if like that's unlocking time in your week for you that you like would otherwise like be stuck kind of flying by the seat of your pants with, with whatever the food is. Um, yeah, go for it. Sweet. Sorry. I was on mute. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> um, okay I want to dive into, um, one or two, hold on one sec, baby's back and not, <laughs> we're almost ready to wrap up and then I'm going to feed that kiddo. Um, she was asleep, but okay. There is two questions that I want to make sure we get into. And the first is, um, one of our listeners asked, so she said, I feel like mindset is the hardest part of eating during pregnancy and motherhood. 
with all the health, safety, nutrient recommendations, it can be a trigger for control issues. And we've talked a little bit about this already. Mm -hmm. How can moms be gentle to themselves during transition from pregnancy to breastfeeding, still needing to eat healthy, but maybe looking forward to eating some things they weren't able to eat during pregnancy. So we kind of talked about this. Like for me, I couldn't eat a lot of things during pregnancy. And so then I like, it was, you know, I I ate a lot postpartum and I (laughs) felt good about that. But I think a lot of moms kind of beat themselves up because maybe it's a combination of like, hey, I couldn't eat that much during pregnancy because of morning sickness. Um, and now I'm postpartum, I'm breastfeeding, I'm super hungry. So it's almost this like giant leap from maybe not eating a lot, having a lot of aversions to now all of a sudden I can and I will and I feel like I need to eat a ton. And sometimes mm-hmm. moms might beat themselves up over that. Like just, oh, wanting more quantity of food. Yeah. yeah. She asked um, specifically I, how, I do. Can, how, how can moms be gentle to themselves during that transition? That's a great question. Um, it, it really goes back to like the innate design of the female body. Cause just because you're not, there's not a baby inside of you anymore. Doesn't mean you're not fully supporting the nutritional demands of that baby mm-hmm. in the same way that you were before. So in fact, you're probably, I think your breastfeeding metabolism, especially as baby starts getting bigger, like actually increases like your basal metabolic rate, like the amount of calories that you need in a day and the amount of carbohydrates that you need typically increases as well. So, Mm -hmm. um, it's, it's hard to trust that, right? Like it's hard to trust. It's hard to trust that, Hey, I'm not overdoing it. This is a need. Like my, it's it's a no kidding caloric demand of my body right now. Mm -hmm. And with more carbohydrates, we tend to not trust that as well. It's like, oh, I'm just, I'm craving sugar. I'm um, going to go off the deep end. And, and with sugar, like especially unrefined, like processed sugars, mm-hmm. yeah, like that, that can have some unwanted effects in the body. But if, if you're getting it from like rice and from sweet potatoes and, right. you know, like really wholesome carbs, like with lots of fiber and micronutrients, then man, eat. Yes. It's really... <laughs> really like that, that's natural appetite regulation. So, um, I have a blog about this, like a distinction between controlling appetite and then naturally regulating appetite, um, and how they're not the same thing. Like to fight appetite is to fight the willingness to be here on this earth. Like it's actually like a, a dilemma in the first chakra, right? Cause we are born to eat. You have to take in nutrients and assimilate them for energy to survive as a human. We have to eat appetite and hating appetite is kind of hating your existence and yeah. a little bit and kind, of, and kind of like a really intense way of saying that. No, that's, that's good. That's powerful. It's, it's a resistant. Yeah. It's a resistance to, to being here. Um, but what people are afraid of is that they'll never be able to stop and you can change how your body regulates appetite by feeding it nutrient density mm-hmm. because when you're not getting the macros or the micronutrients that you, you might be needing, your body will upregulate appetite because the more that you eat, the more likely it is that you're going to get what you need. And so if we can focus on like the quant, the quantity is irrelevant at the end of the day, mm-hmm. like, you know, baby's going through a growth spurt or baby's, you know, doing, I don't know, tons of sleeping and not a lot of eating. Like I'm sure you've experienced this with Evie already. Mm-hmm. Like there's days where she's up and eating constantly and the days where she's sleeping and not eating. And you're like, Oh my gosh, I'm going to explode because yes. I need to feed you. Can I just wake you up so you can nourish all that? <laughs> Help. <laughs> yeah. Um, but like the, the quantity is always going to be changing. It's, it's a flow. You mm-hmm. just have to be in the presence of, of your body's 
current demands, whatever that is for that moment in time. And we can do that through, through getting high quality foods and a lot of colorful foods and, um, just the nutrient density. And so we can regulate appetite in that way. And so if you can settle into, I trust my body knows what it needs to supply, to, to fuel both baby and I, and I trust that it knows when to, when it's had enough Mm -hmm. because I'm feeding it, you know, a huge variety and spectrum of macronutrients and micronutrients. Like that's, that's all you really need to settle into. I love it. It Um, just, it comes back to trust. Yeah. It's magic. And that's hard for Mm -hmm. a Western minded woman. It's very hard because we have been brought up to live in our analytical mind to live, you know, like I, I can outthink my body. I can kind of outwork my body instead of like being like, this mind body, it's a continuum. Like they're really the same thing on just different like energetic spectrums. Like you've got like the manifestation of it and then you've got like kind of the more cognizant, you know, analytical part of it. Um, but they're really the same thing and we, we separate them. We think mind over body. Right. And it's getting back in tune. And just like simply like we mentioned, just like returning to your breath and taking some slow, deep breaths before and get back into that that uh, parasympathetic place, um, yeah. which, you know, we did another question about how to do that when you got a newborn. And that's a whole nother thing. Like sometimes it's, and I found myself there, it was like, sweetie, I'm hungry. And he would just bring me food and I'm not, I'm not taking time to breathe. I'm just like, mm-hmm. get this in because I'm so hungry in <laughs> the middle of the night, like go grab me a perfect bar. Cause I yeah. am going to die. <laughs> I mean, not really, but you know what I mean? We get that place where it's like, especially when we're super stressed because baby's crying or we've got a newborn and we can't put her down or she needs to feed right now, but I also need to eat and I'm dripping egg yolk on her back. And <laughs> so it's like, um, the question was how to, any tips for getting into that rest and digest mode while with a newborn, especially in those first weeks. That's an interesting one. Yeah, that's rough. Um, so I guess my, my piece of advice would be to, you know, continue the trust and the gentleness here as well. Mm-hmm. Um, just because you scarf down something cause you're starving doesn't mean that it's bad. Like it's, you're going to get nutrients. You're going to get some nutrients. Like it's, it's not like it's all for nothing. Right. Um, but really like it doesn't take a whole lot. Like it doesn't take like 30 minutes of meditation to get into that, that rest mm-hmm. and digest mode. Eight to 10 slow, deep breaths will get you there. And sometimes even if like that seems like a tall order, just like elongate your exhales. So like you have to breathe anyway, make your <laughs> yes. exhales, a little, make your exhales a little bit longer. And, um, that's, that's one way, like, so Stephen Porges talks about it in his polyvagal theory, like some of the resources that we have to get into like optimal, um, digestion, basically optimal, like nervous system activation as far as autonomic nervous system goes. And he says that, um, sounds and breath and postures get us there. So if you've got baby, posture's kind of limited. Sounds, singing, actually, mm-hmm. right, like has the long exhales. Like that's kind of by virtue of what singing is. Singing will get you there too. Um, so sing songs to your baby. Like how cool is that? Like I you can make it. it for both of you. Yeah. Um, just elongate your exhales or even go back to like some of the labor techniques where you do like the, um, they call it like the raspberries, right? Like mm-hmm. the horse lips. <laughs> yeah, do that. Just yeah. Like, something that can, um, it's for you. Right. Mm -hmm. And it's just like a a 
a handful of breaths that way or a handful of sounds or one song or something. And I find that when I do take time to do that, um, whether it's before eating or not, like it's nice to tune into your baby too. And she'll like look at me and tune into me. And so then you have not only, it's like a two for one, you're going to get in a better place before you eat the food, but then also you can tune in with your, with your little one as well. It's pretty awesome. Totally. Two for one, two birds with one stone. (laughs) That's right. <laughs> and then the last one is, um, what's your number one mindset tip for new mamas to stay balanced between getting the right nutrients and not feeling overwhelmed? And I, this is where I've definitely been there where it's like, I need to make sure I'm taking all my prenatals and, or all these different supplements and getting all the nutrients in or, or again, back to the whole, like I'm failing if I don't. Yeah. So it's a, um, it's a balance. It's a fine balance. I'm curious to hear your thoughts on that. It is. And I mean, breast milk, turns out like it, it's a constant production. Right. Mm-hmm. And so basically like whatever you ate, you know, the six to eight hours beforehand kind of ends up in your breast milk or maybe four to six hours. I'm not sure what the, like the actual timeline is. Yeah. Uh, but it's, it's constantly different. Like if you miss, if you have a meal where you're like missing an entire group of macronutrients, that's okay. Like, like you have maternal stores for a reason. Like this is why women will gain like maintain like five to 10 pounds while breastfeeding mm-hmm. is because like their body's storing for just in case you didn't get it in your meal that day. So, um, it's, it's a beautiful design. There's, there's backups that are built in and to, to kind of do the best that you can to trust that process. Um, but yeah, it, it is a little nerve wracking when you want to be the best mom that you can be. And I think if you can kind of tease apart that positive intention, like I'm doing this because I want to show up and be the best mom for you as my, my little baby. Mm -hmm. And you don't have to like shame yourself or guilt yourself or like spend so much life force into getting every specific gram and like Mm -hmm. microgram of whatever it is. Um, you don't have to do that to maintain that positive intention and to do the best that you can with what you currently have. So sometimes like you're just, you're on a road trip and all that's between you and like your next stop is like fast food. I feel like that's like always where we are. Like we're somewhere in like North Texas and it's like, is there literally anyone that grows a vegetable around? (laughs) All I see is corn. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Oh yeah. And so, you know, then Anthony's like, oh, you can get a salad. We'll stop. I'm like, oh. I don't want food miles, the quality. It's the best that I've got and that's okay. Yeah, totally. Yeah. I couldn't agree more. And then the, you know, coming back to the concept of like, if you're putting so much energy into worrying about getting all the little micronutrients and macronutrients and imagine how much energy that's taken away from you, like showing up for your little one. Um, Totally. You know, we want to put that, make sure that energy is equally balanced. And so getting stressed and overwhelmed about what we're eating, um, is taken away from your ability to be there for and enjoy and soak in those moments and those, you know, all the little things. It's, it's, that's really what matters. And that's why, and it's all, it's like, it all comes for a circle. The reason why you're so worried about what you're eating is because you love that little one so much. Mm-hmm. So just love them back and then it'll all, it'll all be okay. <laughs> well, and then from what you do eat, right. If you're in a relaxation response, mm-hmm. you'll get those nutrients. Yes. Like versus getting every microgram and then being in chronic stress and actually not digesting and assimilating yeah. those nutrients, right? Like, might as well enjoy it. Yeah, get the same. You know, eat what you need to eat, and then I love it. I think there's so much to unpack here, and I think uh, 
you did a really good job of that, especially oh. in, in just just about an hour. So I'm so grateful. Um, do you have anything else? Any last things you want to share? I think we'll need to cut, have you back on if you if you wouldn't mind because we. Can, oh, I would love that. We'll Thank get, you. I've got. It's funny because I've had a few questions come in since we started recording. Oh <laughs> like, no, kidding! Yeah, so like we will we will have to tackle those in a second episode. Aww. I think we'll do like a a mindset and eating psychology part two because there's and I'm okay. sure Jess would love to be here and and I'm she has a whole host of questions herself so. I loved meeting her at the coach seminar. She's a she precious you. soul. You oh. made a huge impact on her. I'm sure she'll listen oh. to this and smile because she had a lot of great <laughs> things to say. I'm excited about that. And then you had Joy and Claire on as well. Are they? Did well. yeah. And they're coming on the podcast too. So we'll have to share stories awesome. about. Yeah, that was that was so cool. So like the that Denver coach seminar yeah. had like four different podcasts. Oh, like funny. women with podcasts that were there. It was just so cool. So they there probably was just all so did like rehash episodes. I'm gonna have to find them all and listen. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> that's so cool. Totally, I love Aww. it. Well, thank you so much. Where can people find you? Um, let's see. I'm probably the most active on Instagram. Um, so that's at BirthFit Colorado or at Melissa Hempill. If you want to see pictures of all my babies, they're so the best. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> I am a little biased, but they're pretty dang cute. I love it. Cool. Yeah. Um, and we'll yeah. And like on well. Facebook, it's pretty much Instagram that I link to. Right. Or I'll, I'll like I'll publish articles or share things on there too. But it's, yeah, I'll link yeah. all of that. Social media notes. is like the bane of my existence. I just I it's struggle such a hard. Time suck, but it's it also is. so important. It's like you have to do it to get yeah. your to get your information out there. But it's like it's it can be tough, but it can also be yeah. cool because it can connect us and like build our tribe, which I love. Yeah. And like it connects people who otherwise wouldn't be connected. Mm -hmm. Right. Like it's, that's, I love, I love that about it too, but it's a double, it's it's great, but it's also tough. Especially when you work a 60 hour work week. (laughs) (laughs) Awesome. Well, thank you so much for coming on guys. You can find us at, um, uh, you can email us at modernmamaspodcast at gmail.com. You can find Jess at Jess.holdthespace on Instagram and me at Laura.radicalroots. Um, direct message us, email us, whatever works best for you. And don't forget to join our Facebook group, Modern Mama's Tribe. And we will talk to you next week. Thanks, guys. Mm-hmm.